Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. In this episode, you're going to learn about my very first ever 14er. And for those of you who don't know what a 14er is, stay tuned. I'm also going to do a shout out to all the volunteer search and rescue crews around the world. And I'm going to give you a warning. But first, a message from Ingrid Pika about this year's SEPA Evie Awards. I've been talking about the SEPA Evie Awards that are this year, and we have Ingrid Pika here with us today from SEPA, Colorado Independent Publicists Association, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about these wonderful awards. Thank you for having us here. Laurel, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the SEPA, or again, the Colorado Independent Publishers Association, it's been, uh, has been very honored to have the SEPA Evie Book Awards now for, this is the 24th year. We're going to be having 25th celebrations next year for the Evie Awards. And it's the ability for all the independent publishers and the service providers that make these books reality as well. It's their chance to bring the recognition that they deserve. Do you need to be a SEPA member in order to no, submit the, your work? No, not at all. We have submissions coming from New Zealand. We have submissions. We've had them from Australia. We've had them from all over the world. Do not need to be a SEPA member, though I must say there's so many benefits you can have from becoming a member throughout the whole year on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis. Highly recommend it. Plus, it gives you savings on your actual submissions. Okay, and I hear there's going to be a new membership level. Yes, yes. We're very excited about these changes. The whole point is what's more benefit to the member themselves. So having a more inclusive, all-inclusive membership uh, platform so that all the meetings are actually included. You don't have to pay extra. You don't have to worry about that. We're adding additional values and free benefits that you'll be able to access. Be we should be announcing, or we've got an FAQ already on the SEPA website, so that's sepabooks.com, or C-I-P-A-B-O-O-K-S.com. There's an FAQ there on the new membership program, which we are set to launch in June of this year. Excellent. And when do people have to have their books submitted for the SEPA Evies? The absolute deadline is by May 19th of this year, although I would encourage you all to take advantage of the savings that you will get when you submit your books by May 9th. There's an additional savings per category. Okay, lots uh, of categories. Yes, we have lots of categories. We have in the fiction and in the nonfiction categories, as well as technical categories. And again, this is a f- fabulous way for authors. Thank your service providers. Thank your editors. Thank your printers, your layout designers, your graphic designers, book cover designers. Have them allow them the opportunity to enter your book under their auspice. Oh, okay, great. And then the award recipients <laughs> we've got a great banquet planned the third saturday in august where we recognize those people that did uh, did win the first second and third and obviously our finalists in the sepa evie awards it's always a grand event 
um, we really would love to have everyone come to take part, participate. Whether you enter at a book or not, it doesn't matter. This is a huge celebration of everyone's successes. And are you ready to say where that event will be this year yet? We're going to be making that announcement very shortly. Okay, on the SIPA website? Yes, absolutely. SIPA okay. website and all the, e- the newsletters. If you haven't signed up on the newsletters yet, please go ahead and contact admin at sipabooks.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ingrid. Thank you, Laurel. Bye. Awesome. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Although I hadn't planned it this way, I suppose it's apropos that my decision to share the story of my first 14er ascent would coincide with a call out that my husband received this morning to go on a search mission for two lost hikers somewhere on Mount Albert, which is the tallest 14er in Colorado. A 14er is a mountain that is at least 14,000 feet above sea level. We live in Leadville, Colorado, which sits at 10,200 feet elevation, even higher than the mile-high city of Denver. And people do have troubles living here with oxygen issues. So you might imagine that climbing to 14,000 feet above sea level would provide even greater challenges particularly this time of year or any time of year when there's a danger of snow and avalanche. It was raining here last night in Leadville, most unusual, which means that it was most likely snowing on the mountain. These two hikers, a father and daughter, went out yesterday to climb Mount Albert and, as of this recording, have not yet come back. So, I'm sending out a prayer to the universe that they will be found and that the search and rescue crew out there looking for them now will find them and will have a happy ending to this story. First, I'll share my story about the first time I summited a 14er. My story's called No Longer a 14er, Virgin, and it was published in Colorado Central Magazine back in June of 2010. I climbed my first 14er with friends and my husband a few years after moving to Leadville, figuring, you know, I had a few years of acclimating to the elevation of Leadville, and uh, another 4,000 feet or so shouldn't have been such a big deal. Well, I was wrong. It was a pretty big deal. Here's my story. Left foot, right foot, feet, feet, feet. Oh, how many feet you meet. How would Dr. Seuss have known just how I was feeling as I placed one foot before the other, oftentimes only with inches of separation, as I trudged my way to the top of my first fourteener? Living with my superhuman husband for the past 26 years, and by the way, we're going on 35 now, has made me realize that it's okay to say, not today, schnookums to any number of adventures he might conjure, but I had promised myself that I would make it to the top of at least one 14er before summer became a memory. 
I didn't have to prove anything to Superman, but I constantly find it necessary to prove things to myself, and I didn't want to be a 14er virgin any longer. La Plata Peak was the destination, 14,336 feet to meet. And my entourage would include Mike, he's my Superman, Nick, my favorite oldest son, Anne and Eric, Virginia friends from another lifetime ago. I was feeling rather cocky about the day that stretched before us. After all, I had lived at Elevation for two whole years, and our friends had just arrived from the flatlands. Surely their lack of acclimatization would balance my lack of fitness, and I'd at least be able to stay two steps ahead. Surely. Plus, I had six amazing gluten-free power cookies, a camelback full of H2O, and my comfiest Melanzana wicking shirt. I was set. The day was magnificent, and the first couple miles were a breeze. Rolling, open fields filled with wildflowers enticed me onward. I was in the lead, feeling strong, and saw no reason for my situation to change. Silly me. As the terrain became distinctly more vertical, it dawned on me that merely living at 10,200 feet was not providing me with a decided advantage over our flatlanders, who, by the way, were considerably younger than I was at the time. Although I maintained my lead for a while, not that I'm competitive or anything, my focus narrowed considerably, as did my footsteps. And when I finally had to concede my lead, I was reduced to staring at the ground directly in front of me, because then I couldn't see the endless up ahead, and thinking of Dr. Seuss. Left foot, right foot, feet, 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 stinky feet, stinky, soggy, mud-encrusted feet the smell of which overpowered the clean mountain air. I was starting to suffer. But the foot book was not the only Seuss book that came to my deteriorating mind. My butt muscles were becoming thing one and thing two from the cat in the hat, although they were no source of amusement. How many muscles are there in the human body? And why were they all threatening to sabotage my success? I was going to make it to the top, regardless of how many things were aligned to thwart me. By the time I reached the rock fields, an indication that the top was inevitable, this is well well beyond treeline, Nick, who's our son, was asking me, who are you and what have you done with my mother? Evidently, I was becoming irritable. But who wouldn't be? Every rock threatened to slide, and those that appeared stable exposed razor-sharp ridges upon which to step. I discovered that when I raised my head to plan my next route, I became dizzy. And I finally asked Mike, who had been following me with words of encouragement like, "'Remember, pain is weakness leaving your body.'" (laughs) 
I finally uh, asked Mike to take the lead. Evidently, he heard, Go ahead, honey, sprint to the top. I'll be fine spinning around in circles back here on the false summit. (laughs) He was off faster than a new bride's negligee. And what's the deal with these false summits? Like rock salt in a wound, they make you want to cry. But cry I would not, as I knew I had to conserve water, mine having just run out. My cookies were a distant, fuzzy memory. Everything was fuzzy. Fortunately, one of my Flatlander buddies was right with me. Eric said, with no acrimony at all, I'll stay here with you. We don't have to go to the top. And that was all I needed for my final push. I'll do a shout out to Eric right now for that day. I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll leave out the part here where I waved Mike a one-finger salute across the snowy divide which separated the false summit from the final destination. I'll plead delirium, which was pretty much true at the time, because we eventually were able to communicate more clearly, civilly, once our group was together again at the top. Ah, the top. And uh, back to that one-fingered salute. (laughs) He, He was so far ahead. Hadn't looked back, probably thought I was right on his heels, because, you know, I think I've told you before that he was raised by wolves in the boonies of Northern California. He's very comfortable with climbing mountains, which is why he's out there as I speak these words, doing a search and rescue mission. Again, I'm sending out hopes and prayers that this mission ends successfully. So back to back to reaching the top of La Plata Peak. With barely enough time to wring out my stinky, soggy socks, it was time to beat feet back down the mountain. Ominous clouds on the horizon meant there could be no dilly-dallying. And a warning about climbing 14ers, you want to go very early in the morning because by mid-afternoon or earlier, the storm clouds come in and you don't want to be exposed on rocky mountaintops when the lightning starts to strike. My biggest issue upon starting the descent was that I kept tilting to my right, though I thought I was walking in a straight line. It became quite comical, to me at least, and Nick performed a quick EMS altitude sickness check on me. With more water and a spare tube of goo, I would be okay, but I sure was not feeling fleet of foot left foot, right foot, feet, 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 stumbling, fumbling, bumbling feet. Maybe I should write my own children's book about this. (laughs) Shouldn't going downhill be a breeze after all that lung-sucking exertion required to climb? I erroneously thought the descent would be a relatively easy stroll, but Thing one and thing two were back to wreak havoc on my thighs and knees, occasionally causing them to fail on me. T'was a more arduous task than I needed at the time, but I was just happy to be heading home, and the clouds slowed their advance long enough for us to admire the spectacular scenery around us. By the time we got back to the mud bogs, I was downright giddy. The wildflower fields near the start of our day's adventure must have tripled in beauty for our return 
or perhaps I was still delirious. And the cold running stream I had leapt across on the ascent was now a miraculous cure for my bruised, abused feet. Feet that had taken me to the top of my first fourteener and back. Feet that were able to help me accomplish a remarkable feat. At the end of my eventful Seuss-filled day, I did what all good once virgins do. I asked myself, well, was it worth it? And although I still felt both sore and abused, I decided that this first would, in fact, make me look back someday, someday far, far in the future, and say, ah, yes. To my listeners out there today, I hope you enjoyed the story of losing my 14 er virginity. And I'd love for you to consider becoming a patron of the Alligator Preserves podcast. For as little as $1 a month, for $3 a month, you'll get a unique short story that I will write and narrate each month. So think about that. Go to patreon.com forward slash alligator preserves and become a donor. And I wonder if you've heard that I'm going to have a table at this year's Denver Comic-Con, June 15, 16, 17th. Please come find me there. I'm going to be moderating seven different panels with amazing authors, and it should be a really fun weekend. Looking forward to it. Now stay tuned as I give you some thoughts on this and, and do another shout out to Search and Rescue Crews. I certainly had some fun writing that story about my first 14er, but I in no way want to come across as having listeners think that it was an easy task. I I hope I, I made that pretty clear. Certainly, it wasn't easy for me. And I had lived here at this high elevation for several years. I didn't really think twice about ever being in danger, other than when the, the clouds started rolling in. And that's that's always scary. But again, proper planning can help you avoid that. We we could have gone out even earlier and not seen any dangerous clouds at all. But my concern is that many people visit mountainous places with hopes of doing something exciting and adventuresome, but they don't think too much about the planning aspect of it. They're standing in town here at 10,000 feet and they can see the top of a mountain. And so they figured, oh, if I can see the top, I can get there pretty easily. No big deal. My husband has been a volunteer with the Lake County Search and Rescue Organization for, I don't know, 12, 13 years now. And I am constantly astonished by some of the calls that he gets um, and some of the rescues he's been involved with. Families going out with sneakers or sandals and t-shirts, and maybe one bottle of water, maybe even not a bottle of water, uh, with no compass, with no map, or if they have a compass or a map, they don't know how to use them. Or they might have a GPS on their phone, but they don't know how to use that either. And suddenly something goes wrong, someone gets ill, uh, acute, you know, mountain sickness is a thing, It's it's a dangerous thing, can be potentially deadly. And then there are times when groups will go out and separate. One person won't be feeling well, and they'll leave that person and continue to get to the summit, because evidently summiting is more important than making sure someone makes it home safely. 
And not all of the search and rescue missions end on a happy note. Adventures can be exciting, but I'd caution anyone with any ability and experience to check your hubris at your front door and then check your pack and your supplies. As I record this, I can hear a helicopter. Maybe you can too. And I'm hoping it's a helicopter that will find these missing two hikers. And my heart is going out to the family, and I'm almost dreading what I know I could learn when my husband returns. Many people don't realize that search and rescue teams are volunteer teams. The people who join search and rescue know that they could get phone calls at any hour of the day or night in any kind of weather conditions. We have a beautiful sunny day here today. Who knows what it's like up in the mountains? And our search and rescue members often put themselves in great danger to find, hopefully rescue, people who have gone out unprepared. So without any further lecturing, I want to tell you, yes, the mountains are calling you and asking you to come climb them. They're beautiful. When you get to the top of any of these, the experience is spectacular. But for goodness sake, be prepared. Don't risk a beautiful experience for a life. Do your homework. Find out the risks of wherever it is that you're planning to adventure out to. Let people know where you're going. There have been many times my husband has gone out and my husband and my son, Nicholas, who both are search and rescue members, they've gone out searching for people who have not told people back home where they were going or what their agenda was when they planned to be back. And that just makes it more difficult for everyone. So there is beauty to be found. Just make sure that you can find it and return home safely. Please support your local search and rescue organizations. In many places, if you buy a fishing license, you will automatically be donating to the search and rescue efforts. They need money for for gear and supplies and food, and oftentimes the rescuers provide their, their own food and warming gear to people they rescue. So please think about that and see how you might help your own local search and rescue crew. Oh, 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 hallelujah. My husband just called from Twin Lakes. The father and daughter have been found. They're being warmed and brought home. And holy moly, a happy ending. I am I'm so glad that while I was recording this, I was able to bring closure to everyone involved. But wow, he also, boy, he was sounding pretty, pretty darn excited about, about finding these lost hikers. He would like for me to pass on to you that REI conducts free clinics about climbing 14ers, both uh, winter 14ers and summer 14ers, because each of them presents their own challenges. The clinics are taught by experts and they're free. Please do not put yourselves and search and rescue members, other people. Don't put them, don't put yourselves and other people in danger. 
unnecessarily. You don't need to. Learn about what you don't know. Wow. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who was involved in today's search and rescue mission. I know there was a helicopter involved as well. I will add links to all the agencies that were involved in today's rescue on my website. Whew. So nice to know that this story had a happy ending. Not all do. Thank you for listening today. You can find today's show notes and links with photos at my website at leadvillelaurel.com. And if you felt today's episode was valuable, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it, please. I hope you'll consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Check out the rewards you will receive and join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. Until then, how about some MRE jelly for your toast? A meal ready to eat, the kind of stuff we used to get in the army. Packets of jelly. Be safe out there. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard, with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>